I hope that the Black community can have conversations about like mental health and suicide and not let it be so taboo. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives. That number is not going down, by the way. And we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Why? Well, several reasons, but the main one is to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. That's it. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you would like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. As always, a lot of thanks to everybody who was involved, guests who have joined me, people who have listened, Mary and Evo who have contributed to the podcast recently. Thank you both. Check the show notes if you want to get further involved or participate or learn more. All that good stuff. Everything you need to know is there. And if it's not, you can reach out. And oh, by the way, please rate and review this podcast. It's a simple thing to do on Apple and it will help more people find it. It matters. Thank you. Now, remember, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, like we do every week. We know it's not a great fit for everybody, maybe not even a good fit. So please take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Kay. Kay lives in Wisconsin, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Kay. Are you in Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. Nice city? It's sorry. Kind of boring, also pretty dangerous. So, oh, is that right? Yeah, these days, yeah. A lot of reckless driving, and then also just like shootings all the oh, time. Oh, just shootings. Yeah. So you're in your bedroom. You're wearing a purple shirt. It says Milwaukee. Just to be clear, everyone, Kay's in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. That's all, that's all the information you're getting. You're not getting any more specifics. So stay the fuck away. <laughs> Why are we talking? So I came across your podcast and I thought it was really interesting hearing untold stories of survivors. Like Mm -hmm. I've been in in treatment and stuff, gone through like the whole group therapy process. And I just feel like a lot of the times when there's less, when you don't have to like see the person talking or, or you as the person talking, have to look at the faces of the people that you're talking to. It's easier to be honest for me as a listener. I feel like it's great to hear these just like completely unedited or not unedited. Right. We don't, we, we do kind of, it feels like we're living a little bit more and more and more in worlds of like sound bites and quick. There's only so much you can do with something like that. Sure. So you, you come across the podcast. Now that begs the question, how'd you come across the podcast? So I was in a mood, just like a weird kind of not really great headspace and pretty much thinking about suicide. And so I just opened up my Spotify account. It's like, I don't really want to listen to true crime right now. I just typed in suicide in the search and uh, this one was one of them that came up. And so I started listening and I just thought it was really interesting. So um, obviously you did not end your life. No, I am still here. I have not tried to commit suicide since I was 17. Whatever I'm doing is working. What is your age range as we speak here today or your age? I'm 28. Honestly, I didn't think I'd live past 18. Kind of a big achievement for me. Yes. I don't know if the word's congratulations, but something's in order here. Yeah. Thank you. May makes you what, an Aries, a Gemini? Gemini. 
So let us do this. Found the podcast, you reached out. I am always just wondering why people actually reach out to me. So I reached out just because I am not in the greatest sort of mind space right now. I have been struggling with suicide or not suicide, but suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. since I was like 14, 15 years old and then depression since I was 12. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes when my depression starts to get more severe, I start to get in like a weird sort of like headspace where it just comes back to me. Like the the suicidal ideation just comes back in full force. And I was kind of getting to that point and I've tried therapy but therapy isn't always the most helpful for me. I just thought maybe instead of talking to like a therapist who's going to try to fix me per se, I could maybe just try to talk and get my story out. Maybe just talking about it might help a bit more instead of like talking and then waiting for someone to say, well, here's what you do to fix it. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm always, when I do get to a point where I want to commit suicide again, I'm always like, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's, it's weird for me. I don't really want to be fixed per se. I kind of just want to be able to talk and maybe that might help me feel a little bit lighter. And so I try therapy, but then they always want to come with solutions and try to get me to break out of my comfort zones and get me to break habits that like, I'm just far too comfortable doing. And it just makes me nervous. Well, I'm glad you reached out and I appreciate you trusting me. So when you're 12, you said you were depressed or perhaps the first inklings of depression? Yes. So, is that when you first started to like feel like something's wrong or was it younger? I think that's when I first noticed that something was wrong. I don't know. I just started losing interest in a lot of stuff, things that I had always been like interested in, Bratz dolls. And I mean, I guess some of that comes with age too. As you get older, you don't want to play with Barbie dolls anymore and stuff like that. Right. But I'd, I'd always like had my interest. I kind of have like a, not an obsessive personality, but like when I'm interested in something, I do go like head first, full dive mm-hmm. into that. And so when I noticed that like, Hey, I'm not doing the things that I used to do that I used to love to do. And then also just like paired with like constant tiredness, just lack of energy and then lack of concentration too. I was like, something's not really right here. Were you living with, with parents? Yeah. With my mom. And then also my sister, one of my sisters, um, at the time we were living together. So who figured this out? Who figured out that you weren't okay? Me. Yeah. I didn't really talk to my family about it, uh, for a long time, actually. My family's not very, well, they are now, but they, back then they weren't very pro mental health. It's such an interesting way to frame that, that particular way, not pro mental health. I'm not picking on your parents <laughs> or your, your, your mom and sister or anybody in your family. I can't quite get, wrap my head around the idea of not being pro mental health. So there's this thing within the black community. A lot of the times we don't like to talk about mental health issues or suicidal ideation or depression. Do you know why that is, perhaps? I think it comes from the church. Uh, Being raised Christian, a lot of the times the pastors and stuff, they're always just like, it's the devil, you've got demons in you, you should pray. As a as a middle-aged white guy and non-religious and I don't go to church, what would Jesus say <sighs> to somebody who was was struggling like that, do you think? Me personally, I think Jesus would probably say, and I'm an atheist now too, by the way, but Uh, you know, just from, you know, my past when I did go to church and stuff, I think Jesus would probably just be like, it's all right. I'm here. Feel what you're feeling. You don't have demons in you. You're just a little sad, a little lonely. I'll just be by you. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the fact that you're an atheist now also gives us a clue of how you evolved or did not evolve in the church or yeah. Yeah, with Christianity. So not an, and not agnostic, atheist, done. Yeah. So when we die, we're just going to get burned or go in the ground and that's it. We're done. I think so. I, I picture this kind of like a void. It just exists. And I know that sounds like your face when I said that. I know that sounds no. pretty. What I was thinking was, it's an interesting thing to connect the idea that there's a void and that sometimes you think about going to the void. Yeah. Is it a friendly void or like a painful void? Or is it neither it, of those things? Just, neither. I think yeah. it's just nothing. Quiet. Don't really, yeah, quiet. I don't think we really feel or think. Somebody's got to be right with all this stuff, right? And somebody does, yeah. Involved. Like, I don't know. And you don't get to find out. It's fascinating. So when you're 12, so if you're not telling anybody, you're not treating it. Basically, yeah. Um, I didn't really have anybody to talk to. I had one friend, actually, who was kind of going through some stuff as well. I'm not really sure if it was like depression back then for her, but she had um, her parents had just gotten divorced. So I kind of had someone I could relate to a little bit. As far as like not feeling all that great all the time, not always wanting to appear happy and stuff. But as far as like my family, I didn't tell them. So I didn't get any treatment. I kind of um, fell into some, into some bad coping mechanisms. Pray tell. Uh, self-harm. Razors, scissors, anything I could sharp I could use to cut myself with. This is a secret though, right? Nobody knew. Yeah, nobody knew. Um, my mom actually did end up finding out later on, but it wasn't a good time. So when you would, would cut, you would hide it or like with clothing or something? Yeah. Yep. I mostly cut on my legs because then I could just like wear long pants or socks. I did have a few on my arms that I hid with long sleeves. Got pretty hard to do in the summer. It's hot. You can't always wear long sleeve shirts when you're going out with your family or whatever. Man, cutting is pretty common, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately. And I mean, it speaks volumes about like the way that our kids just feel like they don't have any any other way to get through whatever they're going yeah. through. This might sound weird. I'm really surprised I didn't cut. And it just makes me think that I, I um, well, I perhaps I didn't have the, the buildup of tension like people ultimately do that. Or just I didn't even, I didn't really know about it, as bizarre as that sounds. B- blessing or not, I just didn't even think about it. I don't know. But I ended up doing other stuff because you got to do something. Mm-hmm. Or you'll fucking implode or explode. So you, you got to do something. Yours was cutting for a while. Did you start doing other things as I imagine it didn't get better? Because I know at 14, I believe it was, or was it a little later on that you actually try? Yeah, that was uh, at 17. Okay, 17. Yeah. So for five years, you're just dealing with stuff. You're in junior high, high school. This is in Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah. And you're cutting. Are you starting to do other things? Because I don't think it's uncommon to start to do other things to cope. I did start drinking at a young age. I was 15 when I started drinking. It never really got to like um, a problem where I needed treatment for that. Mostly just because uh, I realized pretty early on that I don't like being drunk and not being in control of myself. Was it alone or with friends? Uh, mostly with one friend. Because she was the only other friend I had who really drank. Is she, uh, where is she today? She's in Chicago. She went to school in Chicago after um, we graduated high school and she just never came back. <laughs> yeah, she hates it here. I don't blame her though. So. I think most people I, like where they're from to be, I just, they want to go somewhere else. It's like yeah. You, you got to live in the world and you just feel like, and I pay, hey, I get it. I, I did that. So take us up to, and as much as you're comfortable sharing the, the attempt. 
So for for years, I've been struggling. My family hasn't really been very supportive of me. And so I never really got the treatment that I needed to leading up to the suicide attempt. Like when my mom did find out that I was struggling, it was always just, and I don't mean to offend you when I say this, but she'd always say stuff like stop acting like the crazy white people. So my mom's not very, well, she wasn't very supportive back then, never really put me in therapy or anything like that. And so when I was 17, there was so much going on. So I also had a lot of like body image issues, just constantly comparing myself to other people because I was a dancer in high school. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of developed an eating disorder. And then that compounded with the depression kind of just drove me to a point where I was like, I'm I'm sick and tired of constantly being sad and, and not having anyone to talk to about it. And I felt so alone, you know? Do you think if, we had asked people on the dance team. Was it a team? Um, it was actually, it wasn't a team. It was a class. So I went to a high school of the arts where we pretty much just like focus. Well, I mean, we did like other academic stuff too, but for the most part, we focus on our majors and I was a dance major. So I was being trained in like um, ballet and modern dance and jazz and just like a bunch of different forms of dance. With the dance classes, it was, I was in one of the more advanced classes. And I was constantly comparing myself with the other dancers because they were more flexible than me. And when you're looking at yourself in a mirror four plus hours a day while you're dancing next to other people who are like pretty much stick figures, it's not going to be great for your mental health if you're not also a stick figure. And I hate to say it that way, but a lot of dancers are like very tiny. And I was not the tiniest in the class. If I were to ask any of them when you were 16 years old or 17 years old, would they think that you were doing just fine? Probably. I think a lot of it might have just been in my head. I mean, because I had made it to the advanced class. You show up on time, you're dancing well enough, or perhaps even better than that. I'm often curious about how people present mm-hmm. or how they're able to present. Um, I still present the same as I did back then, which is very, like like you said, smiley. I come off as pretty happy and goofy. Or I try to, just because I'm still not really comfortable letting people know like what's going on, how I'm feeling. How many people in the world know how you're going, how you're feeling or what's going on? Most of my family knows about my depression. I don't tell them when I get into like kind of bad spells where it's more severe and I start thinking about suicide, but they know that I've been dealing with this for a long time. I have one friend who knows that's pretty much it. I don't really talk to um, my coworkers or anything like that about any of my personal life, really. What kind of work do you do? This is going to sound a little ironic, but I work in mental health. It's not ironic. I'm a behavioral health tech. So I've worked with the inpatient children for three years, and I just recently switched over to drug and alcohol rehab. That's awesome. I really liked working with the kids. And, you know, the reason why I started working with the kids, because when I was a kid, you know, I kind of needed that help or I definitely needed that help. And I I figured if I'm going to go into um, mental health, I'd want to be able to help kids who were struggling with what I was kind of struggling with as a kid. Yeah. It got kind of hard at times just because I am still not a hundred percent what I probably should be to take care of people who are also suicidal or self-harming. And there were a lot of trigger moments for me while I was working there, which is part of the reason why I switched to working with um, drug and alcohol rehab. And by the way, and this is to both you and the audience, we're getting back to 17 years old. We just went on a little tangent. We'll always come back. You know, I'll bring you back. Isn't it interesting? The harder things become, the fewer people know. And I get it. Like 100% applies to me too. 
think it's just because people don't want to come across as, oh, I'm struggling. I'm having, there's some shame with weakness. So a lot of people don't want to appear that way. I think you're right. But I think that speaks a lot about culture of whatever it is that doesn't essentially embrace things like that. Then we're just going to get labeled like, oh, you're softy. And I got called so many names by my sisters, by my classmates. Yeah. Sometimes just like cry out of nowhere. They'd mm. say, oh, you're a cry baby. You're too sensitive. I'm oh, I got that. Too sensitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if someone were saying something to me and I'd be like, why, why would you ask that question? Like, why would you say that? I don't think most people mean it this way, but it feels a little gaslighty. Yeah. Because no matter, you know, the, the tricky thing with mental illness or, or I think data shows for what it's worth that not everybody who attempts to end their life is mentally ill. So mm-hmm. not all mental illness at all. But, you know, if you're the one struggling and then you, no matter what you do, it always comes back to, well, you're the, you're the cuckoo one. Yeah. It's like, all right, so there's nothing to talk about here, though. Like, we're done. So unfortunate, though. It kills people. But that's the, an uncomfortable thing to discuss. So when you were 17 years old, what month of your 17-year-old self did you attempt to take your life? So there's actually, I want to say one and a half attempts. The first attempt was when I was 16, and that one was in like late September. The when when I was 17, which is the one that I consider my actual true attempt, that one was in February. What happened at 16? So 16, I, the therapists like to say that I imploded. So kind of just like compounding all these different things for years without having a a good outlet for it. I kind of just um, was like, I'm done. You know, I, I, I imploded. Something happened that day, something very minuscule and minor. Someone said something about me. They were giggling and I found out and I'm like, okay, I'm done. You know, they, they say I kind of imploded. Who's they? Uh, the therapist. Sorry. After I did start treatment, I told the therapist about this situation and um, she was like, yeah, we call that like a, just a, an, an implosion. And so what I did was I went home. I wrote a suicide note. I crushed up about 30 pain pills, just like over-the-counter pain pills, and put them in a cup of water. And so my plan was to drink it all and then just die that night and then have the note ready for my family. After I had started drinking, I kind of like chickened out. Like I got really nervous and scared. I don't think I was really ready. I think I was just having a bad day that day. I drank about half of it and then I forced myself to throw up and then I just went to sleep and I never told anybody about it until I started treatment. What happened with the note is I put it in my book bag thinking like, I just want to have it with me in case like I do decide, you know, when I'm not at home, like somebody's going to find my body. I'm more likely because my book bag was like my purse. So I always took it with me everywhere. And so I put it in my book bag. A couple months later, it kind of fell out there was like a hole in the bottom of my book bag. It fell out of my book bag and was just lying on the floor in the hallway of my school. And a janitor found it, took it to the principal. Principal called my mom. We had a meeting and that's kind of when they were like, put her in treatment. Were they kind with you? Yeah, they were kind. My mom, she was pretty mad with me because she was like, why didn't you tell me that you were thinking about suicide? And in my defense, honestly, she has not been the most easiest person to talk to about mental health. Nobody in my family really has. So my brother struggles with mental health disorders as well. And then drug and alcohol addiction. Growing up, 
the way that I saw my family react to him and treat him. And then also just like the stigma is equal to you having demons in you. I'm just thinking, I don't want anyone to treat me like that. I don't want my family to treat me the way that they treated my brother, the way that I saw them treat my brother. And so I was like, I'm just not going to tell anybody. We were just saying a few minutes ago that it always comes back to you. You didn't talk. You didn't open up. You didn't share. And I, I want to reverse that and be like, most people talk if they can. Mm-hmm. They kind of want to. It, I don't know if it's like a human need. So I always think of it as what were the conditions or the circumstances, including the people that didn't cultivate that or didn't allow that to happen? Well, let's say this. Did you, did you answer her question? Um, No, I did not because I didn't want to offend her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so tricky, right? Do you think she's a little bit better at it now? For sure. Yeah. After um, everything that's happened, even if she doesn't fully understand, she is more willing to be a support if I do need it. For your brother too? For my brother, not so much. Uh, Is he older? Yeah. So all of my siblings actually are like twice my age. I was. Wow. Yeah. I was the last surprise baby. (laughs) So when you say surprise, I assume you mean unplanned. Yeah. For sure. My mom is actually on the edge of menopause. She tells me this all the time. She was like, I I would have started menopause until you came. And then like right after I was born, she like went through menopause. So I was almost, almost not here. Is that that weird? A little bit. I mean, because I know that they love me and I know that they're glad that I'm here and that, you know, my mom didn't go through menopause. And I'm like, I could have almost not been here and look at me now trying not to be here, you know? Right. So you tried, is that the half attempt? You thought that that was the half attempt you're calling it? Yeah, that's the one that I'm like the attempt and a half. I don't really consider that one my first attempt just because I chickened out halfway through. And then you go a couple months later, the note falls out. Mm -hmm. Fascinating, fascinating to me. You're keeping the note around at all times. In my head back then, I'm like, okay, I didn't do it this time. But like maybe one day I might just like walk in front of a bus or something, you know? Implode again. Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted the note to be with me so that like, if I did do it at any point in time, my family would have my letter. Unless you burned yourself to death. Yeah. <laughs> Cause then the note would be gone too. Or if you drown, this is where my brain goes. Okay. <laughs> Some things the note wouldn't be yeah, available. So what come when you say treatment, uh, you at 16 years old, of course I know, I know what happens at 17, but the treatment was outpatient. It was actually inpatient. So after they found the note, I immediately went to the county um, mental health hospital, which is that place was horrible. It was like out of a nightmare. Yeah, it was it was a bad place. But I went there and they transferred me to a better place. But I was I want to say I was in that facility for like a week and then I got out. And then a week later, my sister convinced my mom to put me back in in inpatient. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up not coming home for a long time after that. So I was an inpatient for a month. And then they transferred me to residential out of state to Indiana. And then I was in Indiana until February. I was supposed to be there for six to eight months, but my insurance was like, cut or loose. We're not doing it. Insurance is a bitch. They don't like to pay for anything, especially mental health wise. I feel like trying to get help in America is a joke most of the time. I mean, just let that sink in. Fucking hell. Not to, I'm not directing that to you. Mm. Supposed to be there for six months. All right, let's just say in this case, that's what you needed. And after two months, you get let go. Not because the doctors or team said, you know what? She's just doing so much better. 
Not that. That would be something you could say, well, whether they're ultimately right or not, it's professional, it's doctors, blah, blah, blah. It's an insurance company. It's an algorithm. Yep. I know this is going to sound rather dramatic here, but that's the downfall of a civilization. It's all about money. And there will be people, probably not a lot of people who hear this, because I think it's a bit of an echo chamber, the people who find it and listen, but there will be, there's many a person who would hear that and, and roll their eyes and be like, grow up. So stupid. You get out at February, what earlier than you were supposed to. And I know yep. you try to end your life. In February. Yep. It was, it was about two weeks after I got out. Actually, they released me and I went straight back to school. At the time, we weren't considering like any IOP or PHP or anything like that. And so it was pretty much like, okay, family, just make sure that you watch her. Someone's got to be with her just to make sure that she doesn't, you know, try right. to hurt herself again. My family had set up this thing where like my mom would drop me off at school on her way to work because I wasn't allowed to take the bus anymore because they couldn't trust me to walk to the bus and that, you know, but my mom would drop me off at work and then my aunt would pick me up from school and then just keep me at her house until my mom got off of work. For a while, I was like, okay, well, there's no way I can do anything because someone's always going to be with me. What ended up happening was when I was at school, I was like, do I, I don't have to, you know, sit here in this classroom. I'm just thinking in my head, like I could leave right now if I wanted to, I probably couldn't leave the building without someone like calling, Hey, your daughter just left, go send the cops out after her. But like the, jan- I could- the janitor again, if, yeah, it a, janitor if it was a movie, the janitor would play some role, big role, big role. Yeah. He'd be a recurring character or something. I should ask you, did the uh, other students or perhaps teachers know what happened? Not after the first one. They did end up finding out after the one in February, just because one of the students had to see me hanging in the bathroom. Okay. Did anybody ask you, where have you been for two months? People did. And I'd just be like, oh, I was, I was sick. Just be like, I had to not be here. I was sick for a while, but um, I never really told anybody about, you know, where I was. My friend kind of had an inkling because in middle school we had um, been comrades in depression or whatever she was going through her parents divorced and I was you know dealing with my issues but um she kind of like knew once I disappeared where where I was I mean you're in your late 20s yeah so when this is happening there are cell phones so nobody tries to message you and say hey what's up no I didn't really talk to a whole lot of people in school in high school so I had I had a lot of issues I was um pretty depressed and so I isolated a lot yeah I didn't really allow myself to get close to anybody. So I didn't really have a lot of friends. Um, I wasn't really on social media. I had like a Facebook account, but I'd really only get on to look at like funny memes and stuff. So like nobody really knew about me a whole lot when I was in in high school. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And so when I disappeared, people were like not really noticing until I came back. Like, oh, you've been gone for a while. Yeah. 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 Do you think if, if you had had a little more freedom... And I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but if you had a little more uh, freedom just after you got out of the hospital, you would have been less inclined to take your life or try? Probably. I don't think I would have done it as soon as I did after I got out of the hospital. Feeling like I was trapped, constantly being watched and stuff made it worse. But I do think I probably would have had another attempt at some point. So you're in your classroom. You're like, hey, I can leave, but I can't get out of the building. Pretty sure you make your way to a bathroom. Am I right? Yep. I make my way to a bathroom kind of had a little meltdown and then was like, okay, I'm for sure ready to, to go now. Like I had my suicide note in my book bag. Well, no, sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> I should have had my suicide note in my book bag. But like, I'm like, I'm I'm for sure ready to go. Where's the rope coming from? My belt. How the fuck do you know how to do that? Who knows how to do stuff like this? Did you research it? No, no. You figured um, it out from watching movies or something? No, when I was in um, Indiana, a girl told me she tried to hang herself with her belt. So I was like, I could just use my belt. The things we learn from other patients. Your ex- your stay in the hospital was was considerably longer than mine. But did you find that the most helpful group of people in the hospital were the other patients? I think so. It felt like they understood me more than the the treatment team did, and I yeah. think there was like just some sort of camaraderie, you know. Well, I mean, I also think that like there were some things said between the patients that probably shouldn't have been said just yeah. for our safety. But like also, I think like when it came to Having someone who could listen to you talk with them, trying to like fix you, kind of just like, you know, sit and be an ear that helped me a lot. You think it would have helped to stay there longer like it was originally planned or it would have been irrelevant or worse? It's hard to say. I think it might have helped, but I mean, who knows? I think it probably might have helped. You've got the belt and you're you're ready. Uh At that point in your life, how many meds, if any, have had you been on for to treat this stuff? Oh, that was so long ago. They had me on Seroquel, a couple of anxiety meds, and then one for sleep because I did have a problem with sleep back then. Did you think about the following thing? I'm drawing out this moment. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be too weird about it. No, it's fine. Did you feel like at any moment someone could walk in the bathroom? I did, but I also kind of didn't care. Originally, my plan was to not be in a position where I could be easily seen if someone did come into the bathroom, but that didn't work out. So originally I was supposed to be inside the stall Yeah, and my feet were going to be off the ground. Nobody would know that I was in there. It'd just be like a locked stall. Maybe the janitor would know. Or the janitor. Yeah. (laughs) Always the janitor. The movie doesn't end there, but it's moving towards the end. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it starts there. Damn. All right. Go on. It didn't work out the way that I wanted to just because I had planned on like having my feet propped up on the toilet seat, yeah. which I did. But then I felt like I kept constantly trying to take my feet down after I had hung the belt around my neck. And so I'm like, if I really want to do this, I can't have like a place where I can like easily lift my feet off and, and stand back up. So What I ended up doing was flipping the belt. So the hook on the inside of the stall where you hang your coats at, I had the belt kind of tied or um, attached to that so that I could, you know, hang from it. So what I did was I ended up just flipping it and then tossing the noose part over the top of the um, stall door so that now it was on the outside. And because I'm a short queen, I'm like, if I can just get up there and then kick away whatever I use to get up there and hang myself with you know, my belt, then my feet won't touch the ground. Wait, did you, did you just call yourself a short queen? I did. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm a shorty. I'm five feet and three quarters. The, and the queen part. I mean, it's cool that you think of that. I'm just wondering. But just, you know. Yeah. I don't know. You see it a lot on social media. All right. So the short queen gets the, ro- gets the belt around and then you're on the other side of the door. Do you kick and you, what do you kick it out? Um, I sit on a trash can, got myself situated in the noose. I kicked the trash can away. And and by the way, are you, do you have like tunnel vision right now? Like this is the only option. Yeah. You're not doubting it at this point. You're not thinking, mm-hmm. I may, I'm scared like you were last time. 
Yeah, no, I was I was pretty done. No fear? No fear. No fear. I was done. I didn't have fear before I did it until, so I had fear afterwards, not because I was like, oh shit, I don't want to die. Just because it hurts so much. Right. Right. Physical pain. Yeah. So how long are you hanging? Not long. Someone did hear the trash can when I kicked it over. And then I was also like, you know, kind of like gasping and shit. Someone came in, it was a teacher. She came in and saw me and like immediately was like screaming for help. And then another student came in. Mm. Yeah. Does anybody just try to lift you? Yeah. The teacher, she didn't want to leave and go grab some scissors to cut me down. So she, she kind of like was holding me up. I was, I was, I was like kicking and, and trying to push her away, but, um, Oh, oh, you were like, let me die. Yeah. But, uh, the student, when she was screaming for help and the student came, she told the girl to go get something like some scissors. And then she came back with the scissors and they cut my belt. That must've been a pretty tense moment for everybody. I felt bad about it um, yeah, yeah. afterwards because I'm like, I probably just traumatized somebody. Were they nice to you? Yeah, they were nice to me. The teacher was like holding me after they got me down and crying and just like patting my hair. And the girl, she, I mean, she was nice. She didn't really say much. She just kind of stood there watching. I think she was like almost in shock. If I had to guess. Yeah, she, yeah, I think she was. But I mean, she wasn't like mean or anything for that they just called 911 as we talk here right now do you wish that that no one came in the bathroom no i don't i don't want to say i'm glad that someone found me like that but i am glad that someone found me just because i don't think that would have been a way that i wanted my family to see me or like remember me as just kind of hanging there so i'm glad that that wasn't the way that i ended up going out so you tried a half attempt your words with pills Mm-hmm. And then hanging. I know you still ideate. I do. Do you think about a different method? I do have a different method, something a lot simpler and mm-hmm. quieter, more peaceful. Got it. I'm going to ask you about what happened afterwards that you called 911. But before I do that, I want to ask you you're 28. You already have a specific method in mind. You think you're going to make it to 30 years old? I do. So my thing with suicide is I don't think I actually want to attempt suicide, I just want to die. Like, I don't want to be the one to take myself out, but I feel like I have a way if I do end up having to go, I have a way that I want to go. Having to go. Mm -hmm. Is that what it feels like? Having to go, like there's no choice? I think so. Yeah. That's how I think about it at this current point in time. So if I gave you a pill and you go to sleep and don't wake up, you take that pill tonight? Yeah. Right now I feel like I would just because I haven't really been in the best mind space for like the last couple months anyway. So, and that's why I'm trying to do therapy too. Um, even though normally it doesn't work out for me, the therapy, I always try therapy whenever I'm like right on the brink of, of attempting again. I'm like, let me call somebody and get some help or something. Cause if I don't, then I am going to end up committing suicide. Good awareness. Yeah. I let it go on until I can't anymore. And then I do therapy, take my meds and then it gets better for like, a couple months and I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to do this anymore. Sure. I'm good, you know? Right, right. And then I, it just, it's a cycle that keeps repeating. So I've gotten to a point now where like, I do need therapy and I do need to take my meds again. So what happens when you, when they call 911 at 17 years old? So they call 911, cart me off to the County hospital again. Well, first they had me in the emergency room. They like strapped this 
thing around my neck to stabilize it just because they didn't know the extent of the damage that had occurred during the attempt. And so they were like, this is just a precaution. We're just going to tape this thing on your neck and strap you down. And so they took me to the hospital where they kept me for a day. And there was literally a police officer in my room 24 seven. And then they sent me back to inpatient where I was an inpatient for two months. Same place as they were last time. Yeah. They were trying to send me back to residential, but my insurance was like, nah. How was that experience for you? It wasn't a bad experience. I didn't like it though, just because I didn't want to be there. I actually tried to escape while I was there. I jumped over the nurse's station trying to get to the door and they tackled me and then stuck me with the booty juice, which is just the sedative that everybody called it the booty juice back then. But, um, cause they stick it like right on your, on your glutes. I did try to escape. That's where I would start the movie. <laughs> at the escape attempt. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You escaped, not because you were being treated badly necessarily. You just, what no, happened? I just didn't want to be there. Yeah. At that time, I think I was still, I want to commit suicide, but I didn't want to be in the hospital. I mean, and they were nice. The staff was lovely. The food was pretty decent. I didn't like, just like the constant observation that, you know, of course happens when you're in a mental facility. Fuck. Where would you have wanted to be in a perfect world? Let's say two months. Use the same time frame. You didn't want to be in a hospital. Is there anywhere you can imagine, even on a parallel universe? I think just at home in my room. I was a homebody back then. I'm still a homebody, to be honest. My room was my comfort space. So I, I just wanted to be at home. So when you go back to school, everybody knows. Yeah. At that point, everybody knows. And so I, I didn't want to go back. What we did was IOP, intensive outpatient, where I'd be in IOP for some hours of the day and then in school for some hours of the day. Even though I didn't want really to do IOP, the reason I, I chose to do it was because I like, I know if I go back, everybody's going to be looking at me, talking about me. So if I have to go back to school, I'd rather spend as little time there as necessary. And are you dancing at this point? No. They had stopped me from dancing because of the eating disorder. They were like, you can't dance anymore. Is this your senior year or your junior year? My senior year. So you only had a few months to go anyway. Yeah. And I wasn't planning on pursuing dance outside of high school either. So it was it was fine with me. So you got through it? I did. Yeah. But being in school afterwards, even if it was only for a couple hours of the day, it was still pretty tough. Did anyone make fun of you? Nobody made fun of me, but I did get a lot of stares. And nobody would like whisper while I was around, but I'm sure people were like talking about me too. Probably. And then like in the school yearbook, they put a little note about mental health and depression and stuff like that. So I know that was because of me too. Little note. Mm -hmm. Better than nothing, I suppose. Yeah. And so from that point to this point, which is about 11 years or so, obviously things have been challenging. Yeah, they've been challenging. So I try to do things with my life that's going to make me want to stay, not necessarily going to treatment and taking my medications like I'm supposed to, but going back to school, like college college and stuff, just because I know like my life will be a lot better if I have a well-paying job, you know, because of my degree. And so I'm, I'm just trying to do things that set me up for success in the long run where like, yeah, it's challenging now, but maybe in like five years, I won't want to, you know, die. Do you worry that it's going to be very hard to keep a full-time job and all that's required of that because of your stuff? I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's a struggle right now. I work full-time and I'm constantly just like, I feel like the job I have now is great and I love it, but it's not enough, I guess, to combat the stuff that I have going on up here. 
as far as like dealing with this yeah. life and, and this world and not wanting to be here, you know? Mm-hmm. Do any of the people you've worked with in that field know about what you've gone through? None of them know. Um, and I don't want anyone to know. I think I want to keep it a secret mm-hmm. because even though I feel like maybe if I did tell my story, it might help some of the patients. I, I just don't want them to know. Not just patients. I meant coworkers. Well, I mean, but also, yeah, like the staff too. I definitely don't want them to know what, you know. Yeah, no, I get it. It's, it's so, it's, it's interesting because I'm sure some of them have gone through some stuff too. It probably. For reasons which I understand, we're not going to talk about it, you know. Especially there, though, there are consequences with work and there's money and there's other things that are at stake. Like, you, I get it. Do you think that when this comes out, you'll listen to it? I, I want to say yes, that I will listen to it. I do have some issues with hearing myself and then also seeing myself. Like, I don't take pictures. You no, know, like selfies, TikTok type thing? No, I've got one or two pictures on my phone and they're both from like high school. Of myself. Like, I I just don't do pictures. I don't do videos. I don't like looking back at myself, I don't think. So uh, you spent quite a long time in a studio with a mirror for four hours a day, and you got your fill. Yeah. Yeah, you're good. I did. Does anyone know we're talking? No. Does anything help you feel better? Reading kind of helps distract me. As far as, like, in general, feel better. I do like this is a little... Lane, but K-pop. Ooh, K-pop in particular? Yeah. Okay. That just helps me so much. I love going to K-pop concerts. You go to the concerts? Mm-hmm. In Milwaukee? No, they don't They don't ever come to Milwaukee. No, I'll go to Chicago or LA. Um, what? You go to LA to see K-pop? I do. Now, I might be naive. In fact, I am. But that sounds like a healthy person. <laughs> so what, you fly to LA... Mm-hmm. Alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go by rent myself. A, what, like rent a car, get an Uber. Well, Uber for sure, because I I get so much anxiety driving. I can't I can't drive in a strange place. I can barely drive in Milwaukee. And then you get a hotel room for a night or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you go to the K-pop. Mm-hmm. And then I go home and go back to to work. That's fascinating to me. What's your favorite K-pop band? BTS. No, they're famous. That one. They're big. Yeah, that's my favorite. But I also really like this group, Mama Mood. They don't do concerts here as much as other groups. But the dream one day to go to Korea and check it out? I do. That's one of my big ones. I feel like that's one thing for sure I have to do before I die. Sort of a bucket list type thing. Mm-hmm. Anything else on there that you can share? I don't think there's really anything else on my bucket list. Go to Korea. I just want to go to Korea. Go to Korea. Yeah. See a couple of K-pop bands. Mm-hmm. Walk around easily, public transportation. You don't have to probably, if you're in Seoul or at some other cities, you don't have to rent a car. Given that you reached out and you told me why you reached out, I'm guessing that outside of somebody that you're going to for therapy, like you don't have a network of people to talk to. I mean, I could talk to my family. I just don't really want to let them know. Mm-hmm how much I'm struggling, how bad I'm struggling. I mean, I do have a friend that I could talk to as well. And I did in the past try to talk to him a couple of times about it, but um, he's the type that feels uncomfortable in serious conversations. So if I do tell him something serious, he'll make a joke out of it. And I don't really want my mental health to be a joke. So, Well, then he's not someone you can talk to about it. No, no, he's not. <laughs> I mean, 
I, well, there's a difference of there's a, there's a human being that would likely be available to talk with versus mm-hmm. someone I want to talk with. It's totally mm-hmm. different, right? Yeah. So did you ever receive a diagnosis? I don't think I asked you this question and I don't always love diagnoses, but I'm just curious uh, that you agree with. So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was um, in treatment at 17. At the time, I didn't really think too much about it, but I don't think it was correct. Um, Since then, my diagnosis has changed to just major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, also purging disorder, but I kind of grew out of that for a while. So my final question. And then, of course, you can add anything you want. Are there any myths around anything that has come up today, or perhaps even if it didn't, that you'd like to dispel? Yeah, particularly for the Black community, I would just really like that community to understand that there's not like a quick fix by praying. People aren't walking around with demons in them. It's not the devil that's causing us to have these mental health issues. And I I don't think it's healthy that we tell our young people who, you know, come to the pastor or come to the church or their, you know, wherever their place of worship or wherever they feel comfortable and saying that they're feeling these, these things and tell them, oh, that's, you're just possessed or like, you're, you know, you just need to pray. Like that's not healthy because that's what I was told. And not to say that I necessarily believe that, oh, I've got demons in me or that, you know, praying will help it go away, but that's not help. There's nothing about that that's helpful. I wonder if they think it's helpful. I'm sure they do. And I'm sure they don't say it with like ill intentions to make us feel like we're bad people. Not sure. So that's the big one. And then also just like, I hope that the Black community can have conversations about like mental health and suicide and not sort of like let it be so taboo. Do you think it's even tends to be even more uh, challenging for Black men? Was it similar? Oh, for sure. I feel like our community expects our men to be not perfect, but like so stoic and strong and any sign of weakness is not welcomed. And so when Black men struggle, they definitely, I feel like, need more support. Not to say that the women don't need, you know, lots of support as well. It's just, Mm. I feel like we need to support them because they end up in some pretty terrible situations. And I don't think that we should just kind of let them be because they're men and they're supposed to be, you know big, tough guys. Like we should, we should help them. The men need some love too. Yeah. What else would you like to add? Sure. A lot of things might've been popping in your head. I mean, I just want to say it's a daily struggle for anybody out there that's, you know, listening and, and maybe considering suicide or, or have tried in the past. It's a struggle, but I think even if traditional treatment isn't great for you, like it doesn't work for you, just find something that you can grab onto that'll give you happiness and something to look forward to. For me, it's it's K-pop and then also just thinking about what my life will be like once I finish my degree. But I mean, just find something that works for you if you can. And if you can't, find someone that you can talk to or someone to just listen and maybe like help you unburden your soul a little bit by talking. What are you studying, by the way? Nursing. Gonna go balls deep in psych. So I'm gonna do psych nursing. All right. So thank you very much for reaching out and talking with me. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. Great talking. Well, thank you for talking. No problem. It was, it was, it was a nice conversation. I'm glad I got to kind of just unload a little bit on you. What is the rest of your day like? And then we shall go back to our respective lives here. Um, I've got therapy in like 30 minutes. 
and I do need to do some housework like cleaning and then I think mm-hmm. I'm also going to cut the grass today. I hope that goes well. Thank you. All right, Kay, uh, Wisconsin. Thank you very much again. Yeah, no problem. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your day as well. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, take care. You too. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Kay up in Wisconsin. Thanks, Kay. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com. On Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Check the show notes for all kinds of other ways you can get involved, participate, contact us, including our membership. We would love that kind of support from you. There are some perks. And that is all for episode number 174. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I will talk to you soon.